Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today and joined by our friends via Zoom due to the current crisis to pay a deep and heartfelt tribute to the recently departed Hope, a pure and innocent soul. Why her? Why now? We ask ourselves, why did she have to die? You're listening to episode 126 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. It's Friday the 11th of December 2020 here in Norwich, and that was the voice of actor Patrick Miller reading an excerpt from Hope by Olu Alakaija, one of the five commissions created for the Black Writers on Democracy project, produced by Tamsin Flower at the arts group Stream Lyric. I spoke to Tamsin recently about the inspiration behind the project, how she used crowdfunding to get it moving quickly, and why democracy was the project's chosen context with which to explore the Black Lives Matter movement. First, though, let's hear more from Olu on how he became involved. Hi, I'm Olu, writer of Hope for Stream Lyrics Black Writers on Democracy project. I saw the initial call out on social media for Black Writers on Democracy I thought it would be such a beautiful project to be a part of, if selected. The words that stood out to me were that this was an opportunity to write something personal and political as a form of peaceful activism, and that really appealed to me with everything that's going on in the world right now. The thing I wanted to try and explore in my work was the idea of hope, and to a large extent the death of hope, and how that may have happened. I think that there are interesting connections between our own levels of apathy and bias when it comes to the state of the world and our levels of humanity and democracy. This, for me, often allows hate to manifest itself and grow with many different disguises, some quite subtle and some not so subtle, and I wanted to pose a few provocations in my piece which I hope will open up a few interesting conversations about our collective and personal responsibilities. I think one of the biggest challenges I and many other writers of colour face is a lack of opportunities to compete on a level playing field. For me, culturally specific stories are actually universal stories, but sadly a lot of the industry doesn't seem to feel like that. I think we have and will continue to lose a lot of diverse talent simply because many gatekeepers often still refuse to make space for diverse writers in the same way that they would for people who come from a similar background to themselves. I will add, however, that the last few years has seen many steps in the right direction, but I think there's still a long way to go. Hi Tamsin, thank you very much for coming back on the pod. No, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I was I was checking the records and apparently when we spoke previously, that episode went out in December 2018. Yeah. I know, it feels like a completely different time. Oh, everything's changed. Everything literally has changed since then. We aged about 10 years in two, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 2020 has been about five years long so far. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange question because it has such connotations this year. But how has your 2020 been? My 2020, looking on the positive side, which is something I try to do, especially as a writer, because, you know, writing is such a lengthy process. It's such a long game has actually focused me personally on my writing practice. Um, I've kept very busy in the past with 
producing and self-producing and working with other organizations um, almost because I can justify that um, because there's more of a kind of cause and effect process involved. You do something very practical and you have a product at the end of it, whereas writing, it's a bit more hazy. It has longevity as a journey. You don't know if something's going to be produced in five years' time, 10 years' time, etc. But I've allowed myself to write this year. However, you know, highly aware of the struggles that other people are going through and um, reflecting on how I want to engage with those two. It's been interesting talking to different writers this year about how 2020 has affected them in, in different ways. And quite a few people have sort of noted that there's a slightly strange disconnect between kind of your personal, you know, very, very small experience of what you've been doing in your house. And, you know, in your, in your case, you're saying you've managed to get more writing time done. Mm. But at the same time, you're very aware that you know, beyond the walls of your house, the world is in a very unusual place for multiple reasons and and having those two things simultaneously going on in everyone's heads has been quite a challenge. I suppose one of the problems of the pandemic is that it's multi-layered in terms of the issues involved, you know, political, social, health, everything is mixed together in this extreme boiling pot and all we can do as individuals is just be, um, I don't want to say alert, be aware be highly aware of what's going on with others and, and help where we can. Yeah, and it's such an unprecedented situation, both in terms of like the immediacy of, of what we've all had to adapt to this year, but also having no real notion yet of, of what it's going to mean in years to come either, because there's never been anything quite like this. Sure, there are no rules. We're making up rules as we go along, you know, especially the British government. <laughs> and there's been lots criticism from Europe about um, how our organisational powers have, you know, adapted to the problem or not. Um, And um, personally, I've been reflecting on values and how to live by values, um, rather than the structures that were in place um, before this all happened. Um, I was planning a year of certain projects and certain funded projects, which were reliant on liveness, and certain collaborations and you know they didn't happen so all you can do in those situations I feel is look at what you care about and just try and chip away at those things I think that might be one of the routes to sanity. Yeah it's interesting what you mentioned about um, different governments around the world because the thing that's particularly unique about this is that I can't think of many instances where every government in every country in the world is having to deal with the same thing at the same time and you can directly compare what everyone is doing or not doing um which i think we'll get to black writers on democracy in a sec and but that's something that your project does really nicely as well because it has this international flavor Mm -hmm. and seeing both the differences in different countries and cultures but also some of the surprising similarities as well yes um It's interesting, um, we've been talking very broadly about the challenges of 2020, and BLM, I really feel, was a a moment of catharsis. So writers love talking about these moments of catharsis in retrospect, um, and talking about great world literatures, you know, like the Greeks. Um, And I imagine, I'm no academic, um, but I imagine when we come to look at it in the past, the BLM movement will be seen as a moment of catharsis in our society. Um, But it was also sort of um, mirrored in a way by the SARS, the movement against SARS in Nigeria, um, very close together on the timeline. Um, It's almost like once the lid was lifted, 
um, on, you know, these repressed feelings of anger and injustice um, that, you know, movements around the world, movements of black communities felt they had permission to take action um, because there was such a, a force of scale and, and power um, behind their intentions. Can you give us a kind of one minute pitch for what Black Writers on Democracy is? So before we go any further, we should probably explain to listeners what precisely we're talking about here. Sure. Well, Black Writers on Democracy aim to highlight um, black intellectual voices um, using their personal life writing to talk about um, you know, societal issues in a very um, relatable way. So following that elevator pitch, I was really interested in utilising life writing as a form to really unlock people's personal experiences in highly expressive ways um, that could be shared um, with other communities that might not be familiar with experiences of democracy in black communities around the world. Um, so it was really rewarding to have um, submissions from, you know, Ghana, um, Nigeria, um, various other, uh, North America, various other countries, European countries, um, and to have that potential at play to share these stories widely. It's very exciting. Yeah, and producing this project was, is it right to say that this was kind of your reaction and response to BLM? I mean, was this something that was kind of on the horizon that you wanted to do prior to this year, or was it very much a response to what you've seen? So my gut reaction to BLM was um, a reaction to watching the news coverage um, in America and the UK of the BLM protests. And I felt very viscerally sort of sad and angered um, that in supposed civilised societies, um, there was this, this huge feeling of discontent and frustration um, from black communities. I've experienced isolated incidents of racism. I've witnessed them at work, um, in social settings, um, publicly. Um, but when you imagine that actually those isolated incidents come together to form uh, something that results in such huge scale protest, uh, I think it takes watching that and seeing that to really understand how large the problem is on quite a deep level. Yeah, going back to what we were talking about right at the start, actually, you were saying how this year you've managed to do more writing, but with this project in particular, you very much kind of take a back seat and the producer role and put together this package of commissions. And what what made you go in that direction rather than potentially any other kind of route? It stemmed, it all stemmed from the idea that the funding for a project could be sourced democratically um, through crowdfunding. And that commissions are a vehicle for giving other people a platform, um, which is what I wanted to do as the most sort of productive, positive and useful response that I could make to BLM um, as an artist producer. Um, and the elements um, that needed to be included in that crowdfunder were you know, some really strong examples of um, black voices in the literature sector who could encourage new people coming through. Um, so I asked Jana Coffey-Sekpo, and um, she's an ace officer, but she's also a writer. 
and Yomi Sode, um, who recently did a, a great event at the South Bank, which you've probably heard about, um, to come on board and advocate for it. Um, so once that was published, um, that crowdfunder, um, what carried rather than anything um, sophisticated in terms of planning was the idea. So the strength of the idea did inspire people and it inspired um, many influencers in the black writing community or the literature community at large to come forward and offer their help. After the crowdfunder, it really became apparent um, what needed to happen next. It grew very organically, the process of the project, within some sort of generalised brackets. So there was a competition call out for a month. Um, so there's quite a, a quick turnaround. Um, but what really helped spread the word was social media. And um, one of the funny word, but one of the learnings of the project was really that the emerging um, writing community in Africa um, is on social media in a big way. And um, what particularly emerged from some of our African winners of Chinua and Caleb um, was that they see um, you know, Western um, literature development organizations, platforms as a way of really talking politically. Um, to the wider world. Um, so it was surprising that the competition and the crowdfunder, the call out and the crowdfunder were shared widely um, in Nigeria and also in Ghana. But then unsurprising too, because clearly um, there's a whole uh, community of writers who are seeking out these particular kinds of platforms for their political work. Now let's hear from Nikki Igbarula, who contributed to the project with her piece, does anyone really have it? I really um, was drawn to the project because I think 2020 has been a year where it's been impossible not to think about democracy and really sort of, I think, go back and critique what has happened to bring us here cause, because I think coronavirus really brought to the surface so many issues we, we've had with governance and not just, you know, in the UK, but across the world, because I think more than anything, this has really shown us what a global community looks like or what the world as a global village looks like and how technology has really made us, I don't want to say one person, but technology has really brought us into contact with one another in a way unlike before, um, because, you know, people travelling is really how this virus um, spread. I think, you know, in addition to that, you know, there's a lot of protesting going on this year um, in obviously America, in, you know, Zimbabwe, in Congo, in Nigeria. And you get to see protests happening, you get to hear stories, and you get to really understand um, how frustrated people are with the way things are. And I think it forces you to really think. And for myself, who was born in Nigeria and lived, you know, in the UK and who has a very large number of a family in America. I'm very connected to political spaces. Um, this piece um, or this commission, it sort of allowed me to crystallise what I'd already been thinking about. Like I literally saw um, the words democracy in my lifetime and my piece just came, started coming together in my head. It was a very natural sort of response. It connects the dots between you know, the political journeys I've been on and the person I am today. Um, it's, I think it's very interesting to understand, you know, how 
the political system of Nigeria, even when I was, you know, one or two or in the womb, was all shaping who I am today, was shaping, you know, my relationship with politics. Um, and it was, it was, it was very interesting to do this sort of um, narrative journey because you think, oh my God, yes, that did happen. And you were two and you were, you know, five then or you were seven then. Because some of these stories are so shocking or so, they seem so out of this world, you don't think they existed in your lifetime. So my work just sought to explore how unstable politics really is. And I think it, one of the things I do in this piece is say, does anyone really have it? Because are the structures of democracy that we are currently holding on to and practising really the structures that are relevant for the societies that we live in today. In terms of the crowdfunding, how did you kind of practically go about actually running that? I'm just thinking in terms of other producers who might be interested in doing a similar kind of uh, way of of sourcing funding. Well, crowdfunding's become so developed and I have a background in, in marketing and PR professionally. And I've since realized that there are people who actually specifically focus on crowdfunding for organizations as their job. <laughs> so um, this is an entire job in itself. Um, having influencers really helps. Um, so there are great people like Inua Ellums, as I say, Yomi Sode, um, Arts Council Southeast, Jacob Samuel Rose helped out, um, Rachel Long, um, various other advocates um, in the academic community of um, diversity and writing really jumped on board. Um, so I would say get influencers on board because they're so powerful. And I think in the last stages of the crowdfunder, it was probably almost purely down to Inu Allen's <laughs> and his mm-hmm. um, his cult of talent and personality on his Twitter feed that people started um, donating very, very quickly in the last hours um, to make um, a modest but significant amount, which was £600, which was all we needed to start the project. What kind of timescales are we talking about from when you you had the, the the spark of the idea that you wanted to do something to the crowdfunder being completed? So I put together the project in a week and drafted the um, the crowdfunding page, sent it to the influencers, and then we published it. I have to say that I've had um, some help in terms of um, digital sharing from Ilya, who is our digital assistant producer, um, and she very kindly offered her services voluntarily during lockdown. Um, so between us, um, we um, scheduled sharing. Um, so yes, in terms of timescales, um, there was a week um, putting it together and, and gathering the influences and the influence needed. Um, and then the crowdfunder ran for a month and the competition then ran for a further month. So very, very quick turnaround. Um, but I wanted it to be and I felt that the urgency of the movement required an urgent reaction. And um, on the blog about the project, I've spoken a little about this tension that the cultural sectors experience between the desire to plan and the desire to, um, you know, carefully um, deliver something that's been thought out in the old ways, in the ways that we would usually work. But then this time requires something a bit more agile and a bit more reactive. 
which fortunately, as a very tiny Arts Council-supported company, I can do and I have that freedom and I wanted to use that freedom to work reactively in this project. Yeah, it's interesting because when you were on the podcast before, we were talking about arts funding, but in a more traditional sense, I suppose, rather than kind of crowdsourcing and going directly to to interested people who just want to make something happen quickly. Sure. And um, that Arts Council funding for projects um, wasn't there during the last lockdown um, for Stream Lyrics. So individually, I was given emergency funding as an artist and writer, um, but the company didn't receive emergency funding. And many companies were in a similar position that weren't NPOs. And um, I almost feel, and I may be wrong, that the Arts Council's sort of second wave of support was partially a strong response to many non-NPO companies feeling that they were out in the cold somewhat um, without blaming anyone other than the situation. Um, So yes, and if I was mentoring someone on their first Arts Council application now, uh, it it would be a different process. And, you know, we're thinking about engagement in a different way. And we're thinking more about families for sure and how we can reach out to families who need to keep young people engaged uh, in ways that encourage well-being. So this this push towards um, justifying the arts through well-being, which started before the pandemic, um, is crystal. It's been crystallised through this period. Yeah, I was going to ask about how COVID-19 and lockdown impacted on the project because you know if BLM was the the kind of inspiration behind doing it in the first place uh, it's kind of impossible this year to look at that just in isolation because you've also got the the pandemic happening simultaneously Um, but it sounds like through running it as a very much a digital program you kind of sidestepped that being much of an impact factor. Sure, um, definitely, I agree. Um, I've always thought of um, competitions as, um, you know, especially sort of literature competitions as a potential project um, that wouldn't require the kind of um, practical hands-on live element that producing, say, a show would require. Um, So it's almost something that's been up my sleeve as something that I'd like to do um, because you could centralise it on your computer um, you know, as I did and as Ilya did in supporting Stream Lyric. And um, yes, it was entirely, you know, laptop based, remote based, um, because I had more time because of, you know, the work circumstances caused by um, the pandemic and um, the absence of perhaps more funding that would have been there. I had the time to invest in, you know, being on my computer and being reactive to, um, entries and queries and um, it was actually quite a joy and a delight um, to um, be so active across the social media accounts while working on email um, and sort of gathering um, contacts and relationships um, in that way um, for a focused period of time and we'll definitely keep in touch with everyone who engaged with the project and um we have sort of got them on board in terms of forming a community around it and a community for the company. So it's been really valuable in that way as well. The project had an international angle baked in from the very beginning. Here's Chinua Ezenwa Oheto talking about his focus for the project and how he used it to explore democracy in Nigeria. My name is Chinua Ezenwa 
Ohedo. What attracted me to the Black Writers on Democracy Life Writing Commission's project is its avenue for people like me from this part of the world to make known the kind of democracy practiced in Nigeria, that is my country. In the poem, I explored the levels of democracy practiced in my country via thesis presentation. That is um, sort of a stylistic um, avenue to say the things I have in mind about democracy. In the poem, there is the title, the abstract, the chapters, and the conclusion. At each level, the poem opened up to the impunities practiced and termed democracy in Nigeria. The deaths caused by the ill democracy, the lootings, the denials of human rights, the subjugations, the ill-equipped, almost not equipped hospitals in the country, bad infrastructures, bad roads, and downgraded um, buildings. And the democracy also has an effect on the education system in the country. All these things I've mentioned are what the poem explored at each level. At the end of the poem, I showed the possibilities of things being better because there is need for it. I hope things get better, that the, that, that the politicians and my country um, know what it means to have a functioning democracy, not democracy. That's the demo and the craziness because it's, 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 it's maddening. So this poem explored these things in different levels so that the world knows what is going on here. So when you read the poem, you will see the angles of this ill-practice democracy going on in Nigeria. Again, I hope that my country will support education well enough to fund magazines and competitions and also fund festivals and book readings. Without these things, people will begin to lose interest and it's not cool. So these are the challenges I am facing at this point in my career. Looking at the specific call that you put out on your blog when you started trying to find people to be involved and to, to pitch for these commissions. You, I think it was, uh, you were looking for creative life writing on the theme, democracy in my lifetime, yeah. from all black people across the age and gender spectrum. And I was wondering how how long it took to settle on that as the specific call and why in particular the focus on democracy is the theme rather than anything else. Yeah. Well, intuitively, democracy really felt like a good foundation um, from which the writers could discuss their life experiences um, in relation to um, racism. Um, and 
obviously with the run up to the US election, um, we were living in a very politically heightened time, as we still are. And we've just sort of come down from that, that experience. Um, I felt very strongly that it would be great to get some voices from the US involved in the project. And there were some submissions from the US. Um, And I felt that People in the UK might not have heard certain stories um, about black experience in relation to political corruption, perhaps, in other countries. And it would be great to um, share those those smaller social, more domestic experiences that were tied to larger um, political um, situations with people in the UK. Now that all the commissions are out in the wild, what kind of a response have you had to them? Yeah, what we found is that um, people and communities have responded very strongly to um, particular films or particular pieces. Um, So, for instance, there was uh, an influencer, a black influencer, a woman who really strongly connected with Nikki's piece, um, Do We Really Have It? And um, there were definitely people who, by word of mouth, um, spoke to me of Pauline Rutter's piece, women who similarly um, were sort of black or mixed raised women um, in um, sort of middle age um, who really responded to her experiences of um, growing up and um, developing as a woman, as a black woman in the UK. Um, So we've had um, great responses across the different channels. It's really interesting to see um, which communities are on what platform, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, So it's lovely to hear responses that reflect um, people thinking the work is relevant and needed, and that they can also relate to it. Um, So I think most of it's highly relatable, which might not always be the case of um, you know, the products of a literature um, competition. Um, so I like to think that those democratic values have really filtered through to how people are viewing and stumbling on the films. I think that's some of the real value in the speed with which you were able to put all of this together. In terms of it feeling very timely and relevant, if you'd gone perhaps down a more traditional route of trying to fund and put a project together, capturing that moment might have been more difficult. Whereas because you you jumped on your reaction and then very quickly put the project together, went the crowdfunding route, which in itself was very rapid, that kind of from start to finish, this was able to you know arrive fully formed um, not soon after you had the notion of doing it in the first place. Um, sure, I agree. Um, so there was definitely a note of authenticity in the reactions. And yes, definitely, um, because of, of the timing. Um, but also, you know, the issue is an issue um, that will be with us for some time of equality. Um, the issue of equality isn't going anywhere. Anyone who feels marginalised or has felt more marginalised um, can relate to, in some degree to the BLM movement. And that's certainly how I relate to it. Um, So, yes, a timely response and and positive reactions because of that, um, but also because equality is an enduring issue. Can you tell us how you went about producing the videos for the project, given all the various COVID-19 restrictions that must have been in place? 
The filming on the 19th of September went remarkably smoothly, actually, perhaps surprisingly. But I think this is partly due to the reduced amount of people involved. We were working as a very tight team of uh, cameramen from Chocolate Films, who are brilliant collaborators, and myself directing. And being able to use my theatre directing skills um, for camera was a, a sheer joy. Um, we used the Wesleyan Chapel because of the goodwill of the Methodist community. Uh, they accepted a donation for use of this spectacular place, which is also a museum for Methodism. I also went to a Methodist church until I was 11, so it brought back lots of extremely fond memories of tambourines and singing. <laughs> it's, it's also connected um, to, uh, to the abolition of slavery, actually, because there's a font there which was gifted by a female missionary who went to Africa and campaigned um, for the abolition of slavery. And it has a beautiful motif on it of um, broken shackles. So if you're ever in Shoreditch, do take a look at that church. It's exceptional. And thank you to them. We also use the flat of um, a journalist and writer friend and activist, actually, of one of the writers. Um, Nikki Barula's film, Does Anyone Really Have It?, is set in a flat. It's very intimate, and it was great to direct that piece because of the intimacy. Uh, we used lots of physical actioning and psychological actioning. Um, it, was, it was great from a, a, a theatre buff perspective. Both locations were in very close proximity, and as I say, we're in a very small team. So all was very sort of um, fluent throughout that day, although it was very concentrated. And interestingly, um, in the height of the early pandemic, we did go out into the streets after filming and see queues of people trying to get into restaurants and nightclubs in Shoreditch packed very closely together. So we'd just been extremely careful um, to um, work safely to create something um, beautiful and reflective of this you know, heated time politically and, and socially. And then we went out into the streets and saw many people breaking a lot of rules. So that contrast was interesting as well. Where should people go if they want to read and watch and listen to these pieces? I'd really like people to um, visit our new digital page on Streamlyric. So streamlyric.co.uk. If you go to our digital page, um, which is on the menu across the top, um, we have the films and the texts there now. Um, we're looking towards an event in the spring. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And perhaps um, another sort of media placement, um, which I won't talk too much about now. Um, so yes, it's a project with a long life and hopefully it will um, you know, create many discussions. Absolutely. And in terms of, sort of next steps and, and what you're looking forward to, what, what does 2021 look like for you at the moment? Oh, my goodness. There are lots of things hanging in the air personally and in terms of um, how you know, I or Stream Lyric could, could have an impact. Um, it's going to be a combination of working through Stream Lyric to produce socially relevant projects across platforms, um, more writing from me as, as a writer, as a, a freelancer um, in drama, and um, I'm also I'm going to study law part time. Um, so I'm sure the political events over the last year have influenced that decision. 
Um, we, we're all looking for a little piece of security. And um, my piece of security is making a long term plan, which may or may not involve um, practicing law. Is that something that's been in the back of your mind for a while? Or is this is, is this kind of been spurred on by recent events? Yeah, this is a very exposing insight into my bizarre personality. But I actually thought but it would be something that I'd study when I retire, which is completely counterintuitive. Why would you start a career when you retire? Um, but um, the situation has kind of brought forward this interest. And as an artist and a writer, I've always had um, a rather cheeky curiosity towards um, people who pursue um, traditional vocations um, in a very sort of dignified manner that that serves society. Um, so it's almost a challenge to myself to sort of um, achieve the ability to be able to do that so that if I want to serve in that way at any point in my life, um, then I can. Well, Tamsin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really do recommend that people go and check out your website and look at the, the really interesting, very different work from all of your commissioned writers and uh, perhaps uh, we'll be talking again in a year or two when the world will be in yet another completely different place yes please i'll take that as an invitation and it's been a pleasure thank you simon i want to return to olu's piece the one called hope that we had right at the start of the episode for all the desperation and frustration threaded throughout it it still finds space to end on a hopeful eye on the future hate never sleeps never has never will He takes the odd rest every now and then, but he has always been a workaholic and he is always recruiting for more fanatics to replenish his armies. And he finds them to enlist in every generation. Make no mistake about that. So I ask you this. Those of you watching today, dressed in black, with tears gently rolling down your cheeks, Once we have laid hope in our final resting place, what comes next? After the sadness, the grief, the inquest, after the lockdown is officially over, what will you do? And perhaps more importantly, who amongst you would be prepared to offer a hand of care for Hope's children. Thanks for listening and thanks to Tamsin and all the other contributors to the Black Lives on Democracy project. If you have any questions or want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. Check out our Facebook page and sign up to our newsletter over at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. You can also join our Discord community, the link to which can be found down in the show notes. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you happen to be listening to it. Thanks again. Keep writing and we will catch you on the next episode. Mm